Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation news and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and he and I are recording this show on Friday, September 10th, 2001. Earlier today, I actually sent a note to Drew because I was concerned that this week's Fine Tuning was going to be on the thin side because this week there really hadn't been... A lot of animation news, right? I mean, nothing. Yeah, ever. there were a lot of there were some trailers that dropped, which we'll yeah. we'll be getting into later. But yeah, yeah. And then what was it? Two o'clock East Coast time today. The bomb drops, and I have to eat my words because what Disney announces its release schedule out through two thousand twenty four. Well, yeah, a lot of those are, you know, untitled Disney event film one through eight that we don't even know <laughs> what it is. Yet. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, no, it was it was very interesting to see. And, and, now, it's the farthest one out that slotted. Is that where they moved the live action Little Mermaid to Memorial Day 2023? Or Yeah, that's the that's the furthest one out with a title. And, uh, okay. you know, okay. we know what it is. All right. Um, well, well, yeah. well, like I said, had to eat my words because I didn't feel like there was any news. And speaking of which, you did see the bit about Bob's Burgers movie, right? You know, yeah. Come- they. I mean, they had a shareable on the official account. I mean, this is official, Jim. I'm gonna have to. <laughs> I gotta put some. I gotta start seasoning my shoes because that oh, movie is actually happening. Yeah, that's okay. And, and again, makes me happy that it is in fact going to show up in theaters. But on last week's show, we, we were talking about Paramount's decision to move. Top Gun Maverick and Mission Impossible 7 out to 2022 and how this potentially would impact No Time to Die, Spider-Man No Way Home, Encanto, and and West Side Story, and uh, whether or not those those films would still be released in 2021. And then, this past weekend, Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Drink comes out, does huge business over the long Labor Day week, and what, 94 million domestic? And suddenly the dominoes start falling in the opposite direction. I mean, was the weekend even over when Columbia announced that they were moving up the release date of uh, Venom Let There Be Carnage? I think it was Monday. Yeah, the, the holiday weekend hadn't even finished before yeah, they yeah. did that. Yeah. So that's moving up from October 15th to October 1st. And then we got all this news coming out of the mouse house. And speaking of news... The news portion of today's show is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. Back to the news coming out of Disney today. So Disney announces that the remaining films on the 2021 slate are all going to be released theatrically, right? So this is... Yes, you're missing one movie, though. In, Which one am I... This, what have I got? You're, you're missing Nightmare Alley on December 17th, oh. which was initially supposed to be a limited release, mm-hmm. but is now going wide, which is interesting because that's the same day that Spider-Man is coming out, but I guess two very different audiences for that. Wow. Okay, so, so just to review, we have The Last Duel arriving at theaters October 15th, Ron's Gone Wrong... October 22nd. Then we have Marvel's The Eternals on November 5th. Encanto on uh, November 24th. West Side Story, the Spielberg redo on December 10th. And then finally, Nightmare Alley on the 17th. And then The King's Man on December 22nd. Do we know if Nightmare Alley is going to do the 45-day theater exclusive? Yeah, or? it should be. It's I think it's a Searchlight movie, technically. So I don't think it is bound by the same rules that the 20th century proper mm-hmm. 
movies are, but I think it should. Although that one might be extended because of Oscar. I think they're going to make a big Oscar play for that one. Got it. It's obviously it's Guillermo del Toro's first feature since winning every Oscar imaginable <laughs> for yeah. Shape of Water. There we go. So yes, okay, that's the one you you want to get behind. Now, yes, <laughs> all of these films save one have 45-day exclusive runs theatrically before they move to digital platforms. Well, did you see that the phrasing was that at least 45 days? So if The Eternals is making more money than they can count, they Mm -hmm. will just keep it in theaters for longer. Okay. Okay. Do you remember this past weekend, which website was, it was an exhibitor website that was- Oh, yeah. God, that was so stupid. It was an an exhibitor-based website that basically backhandedly commented on, you know, to the effect of, oh, Shang-Chi is now the fifth lowest grossing debut of a Marvel film. And you came back with a, a really great observation that the other four films on the list, and it was like the original Thor yep. and... And Ant-Man, I think, and Captain America or something. Mm. And it was like... Oh, boy, would hate to follow in their <laughs> shoes. Every other film on the list already had multiple sequels that were yeah. franchises, you know. And none of them opened in a pandemic, so. Yeah, yeah. And again, it was fascinating to me that it was an exhibitor-related organization that made that comment. Because at least 45 days, right? that to me says that this is a Disney that's trying to make nice to exhibitors, trying to sort of mend fences because they they were legitimately ticked off about this day and date thing that was going on. Yeah. And I think it's a, it's kind of, maybe they found that kind of sweet spot, you know, Mm -hmm. because I think that obviously the digital component is still very important to Mm -hmm. Disney, but if you can have that theatrical experience and you Mm -hmm. can make that money, There's not going to be a billion dollar grossing movie this year, obviously, no matter how you cut it. But giving people the opportunity to see it that way and then also make that money quickly on the Mm -hmm. back end in a way that that people that weren't able to see it or, you know, like, you know, it was great that Quiet Place 2 was on Paramount Plus 45 days after. Mm -hmm. And it made a ton of money in the theater. So I think they're following that that format going forward. It's really interesting. Except for one, except for one movie. Right. Speaking of which, the one film that's 30 days in theaters, but in a weird sort of way, this dovetails nicely into what you said on the last show, that looking at Encanto, and in fact, when we were discussing about, boy, is Disney going to blink and maybe just move that just to Disney Plus, kind of like what they did last year with Soul, which built up an incredible amount of goodwill and became a holiday treat because the whole family could sit around and watch that at Christmas. And yeah, what I love about this 30 day decision for a film that is released on, on November 24th, theatrically, just ahead of Thanksgiving, but they get to have their cake and eat it too, because it's like, well, you get the theatrical run, but at the end of 30 days, that's literally just before Christmas, when this is potentially, in fact, they flat out said this was going to Disney Plus, right? Only playing in theaters for 30 days before then moving to Disney Plus. Yeah, they said digital. I think it's just going to be a free Disney Plus Mm. thing, much Mm. in the same way that Cruella was on Disney Plus before the physical release. Mm. So I think, yes, this I think this is going to Disney Plus for Christmas. Mm -hmm. It'll be right before Christmas. Everyone can watch it. Mm -hmm. Last minute shoppers can get there. (laughs) 
there we go. You know, you know the, Encanto <laughs> merch. God knows where they're going to get it because there's not a single store open in the country, mm-hmm. but, you know, at Target or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a, mm. it's a brilliant play, I think. Are we allowed to say that this decision about these six films and the rest of this light for 2022 to 2024, this was all made based on the amount of money that Shang-Chi made this past weekend? Well, I mean, I think that, it, yeah, for things like Encanto, I think it gave them that confidence because the 20th century titles are locked into a theatrical exhibition because of their deal with HBO, which will be mm-hmm. ending next year, thankfully, so they can do whatever they want with their movies next year. Mm-hmm. So those movies, like The Last Duel and um, some of those other ones, were locked into those agreements, but they could have done anything with Encanto. They could have done mm-hmm. anything with Eternals, mm-hmm. you know. And they were they were publicly milling over the idea of Eternals going mm-hmm. uh, premiere access uh, initially. But I think Shang Chi really just uh, gave that shot in the arm, and it, it clearly gave everybody a shot in the arm, as you said with Venom. And we haven't heard, you know, obviously Bond is still coming out, and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's just very interesting that there's not a lot of buzz on any of these movies. Really, I feel like it's just a harder thing to get people excited. But uh, if anybody can do it, it's it's going to be Disney for sure. Mm-hmm. The mouse's marketing machine. Speaking of which, we saw that in action this morning on Good Morning America where we got our first look at the vocal cast for Encanto, this Jared Bush and Byron Howard film. Do you, do you want to run us through who we got? We have Stephanie Beatrice from Brooklyn Nine-Nine and also uh, Lego Movie 2. She's done a fair amount of voiceover work. So she is, she's Mirabelle, our, our star. Okay. Mirabelle's older sister, Isabel, mm-hmm. uh, the one who ha- whose power involves conjuring flowers, is Diane mm-hmm. Guerrero from mm-hmm. Orange is the New Black and um, Doom Patrol. Amira's other sister, Louisa, uh, who has the super strength, we saw her lifting a bench in the first trailer, is Jessica Darrow. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Mirabelle's parents, Julieta and Augustine, are voiced by Angie Capeta and Wilmer Valderrama. And uh, Mirabelle's abuela, a.k.a. grandmother, is uh, Maria Cecilia Botero. And her aunt and uncle, Peppa and Felix, are voiced by Narcos actress... Carolina Gaitlan and singer Mauro Castillo and her cousin is voiced by singer-actress Adessa. So I think we're going to expect to have her have... The, she'll be doing the pop version of one of these songs, I'm sure, on the soundtrack. And <laughs> Mirabelle's uh, male cousin Camillo, who is a shapeshifter, mm-hmm. is voiced by Renzi Feliz from Runaways, uh, the Marvel show. Supposedly, as part of the Good Morning America thing today, that Byron Howard, co-director, said, I think this is the first time we've really tried to handle a large extended family. We have about a dozen principal characters who are very, very important to the story, and it was enormously challenging. But the whole team was really committed to that idea from the beginning. And, Drew, do you recall a film called Meet the Robinsons? Yes, I'm still in therapy, Jim. Okay, uh, all right. I was busy counting the key family members for Encanto. They have 11. Meet the Robinsons has 13. Uh, 14 if you count Lewis, who is the younger version of Cornelius. But, I mean, Cornelius Robinson, his wife Freddie, their son Wilbur, Grandpa Bud, wife Lucille. I think you and I both know Disney doesn't like to talk about Meet the Robinsons these days. In fact, I think the only time you see... Any of the characters in the park anymore is, is when Disney is a villain event and then they'll trot out Bowler Hat Guy. One of the real weaknesses of Meet the Robinsons was 
smack dab in the middle of the movie. This is when you're introduced to all of these crazy characters to make up the Robinson family. And it's just, it's hard to keep track of who's who. But me personally, because Meet the Robinson ends so strong, it has such a great ending, I'm really willing to give this Steven Anderson film a pass. You know, I think the good parts outweigh the bad. So what's kind of intriguing about Encanto is what they've decided to do in order to make this as easy as possible for you to deal with these 11 principal characters is everybody gets introduced up front. The film literally drops you into this enchanted realm and you meet all of these family members who are so vivid and then you meet Mirabelle who's the one child who doesn't have magical abilities and they tell a story that really does kind of work well for a large family. It's like the, the two themes that they're trying to explore here is how well do we own or uh, know our own families and where do we fit in our own families? And then also, they're going to have a lot of great Lin-Manuel Miranda songs to help hammer home the idea and help us sort out the oversized cast. Drew, do you watch Good Mer- Morning America at all uh, out in California? Or I don't, Well, it's so weird because it's New York time. So, mm-hmm. no, I don't. I mean, I cut the cord last week, Jim, so now I'm really off the grid on Are you really? Television. Yeah. Wow. Okay. It, so, listen, Jim, it's a magic key or access to <laughs> TNT. Uh, one of the two. So oh, I had to, I I had to I, choose. Yeah. I, I, I feel your pain. <laughs> you... Missed some interesting television, uh, especially this past Tuesday, because in the 8.30 to 9 a.m. segment of Good Morning America, it was literally on Tuesday morning, this 30-minute long commercial for Disney and ABC. They do that three-minute news segment at the top of you know the hour. And then it was like, first they had Whoopi Goldberg on to promote the launch of the 25th season of The View, which was beginning 11 a.m. that same day. They pay tribute to these hardworking healthcare workers by giving one family uh, all expense paid trip to Walt Disney World. Now, mind you, the the Chiron at the bottom of the screen is like Disney's the parent company of ABC. You know, don't give us crap about this. But then they gave huge pile of scrubs with Disney characters on them to all the staffers who work at the hospital. They also rolled up this truck that had a giant plexiglass side so you could see it was filled with Disney toys that were then supposed to be given out to all the kids on the ward. They then go to a segment with ABC correspondent Kanya uh, Wentworth, who had taken her two sons, Conway and Wilder, to Halloween time at the Disneyland Resort. And again, you got another one of those parent company messages rolling in the chiron to the bottom. And then the final segment was an interview with Haley Mills, who was there to promote her new book, uh, Forever Young, a, a memoir, which, again, not coincidentally, was hitting store shelves on Tuesday. And... That was a lot of Disney-related hype to be crammed into a single half-hour segment. Uh, The only surprise was that the Haley Mills memoir wasn't published by Disney Editions or or Hyperion Press, but rather an outfit called uh, Grand Central Publishing, which is owned by Hatchet, which to my knowledge (laughs) isn't owned by Disney, not yet anyway. Yeah, as of uh, September 10th at uh, <laughs> 6.08 p.m. Pacific time, it is not owned by Disney. <laughs> I mean, look, I know these morning shows, Good Morning America, The Today Show, and, and the CBS new thing. Uh, did you see that, that just this week they changed CBS This Morning to CBS Mornings, which weird bit of rebranding there? But I, I get that they're not really news shows. They're more entertainment shows. But that was an awful lot of mouse-related stuff crammed into a single 
30-minute segment. And I, I would bet you good money, though, that the Encanto cast reveal was done in that 8.30 to 9 o'clock segment as well. So uh, speaking of television, did, did you get to see the Oh, latest? here's my favorite recurring segment of the show. Jim mm. ruins Lower Decks for Drew, who hasn't got a chance to watch them. All right. Okay, I, go ahead. Jim. I won't spoil the actual story okay. of the fifth episode of season two. I will tell you, however, it, its title is the uh, An Embarrassment of Duplers and features an absolutely killer appearance by Richard Kind. You have to watch this just for the duplers. The gimmick is that if you accidentally embarrass a dupler, being mortified forces them to basically clone themselves. And so it's kind of the troubles with Tribble scenario. And it's just really, really funny. And there's also some wonderful tributes to the original Star Trek series in this thing. So definitely check it out. But... I've got a story that Richard Kind shared with me when he and his wife, uh, Dana Stanley, took their son Max to an early screening of Inside Out. And Max had invited some of his friends to school. And, and you know, Richard's son is now a preteen. So he, he wanted to be cool and he wanted to sit away from his parents and be with his friends. And that wasn't necessarily cool for Richard. So they worked out a compromise that he and Dana would sit behind the row full of preteen boys as they watched this Pixar movie. So the movie gets to the part where Bing Bong sacrifices himself so that Joy can escape the memory dump and get those core memories back to Riley. And you got to remember, this is the first time that Max has seen this movie. And more to the point, this is the first time he sees his dad effectively die in a film. So Richard is sitting there watching Inside Out when he feels something on his leg, and it's basically his son reaching backwards through the theater seat after what's going on screen, just making sure that dad is still there. And Kind quietly squeezes his son's hand, you know, because he's the one who embarrasses Max in front of his friends from school. But he he just said he teared up because it was just, and not because of what was going on screen, but the, how his son was reacting to what was going on in the movie. Speaking of Pixar, though, the new Spark short dropped today, 20-something. Uh, did you get to see that? Not yet. And I feel very embarrassed because I've had these shorts for <laughs> no, 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 like no, six they, weeks or something, but I haven't watched them yet. But I will I will okay. watch both this week's and next week's. Yeah. The first one, 20-something, dropped today on Disney+. Plus. This one's written by Afton Corbin, who is a previously story artist in Seoul. It's a story of Gia, who is based on Afton herself, as she tries to... Re- to maneuver the confusing and difficult world of being in one's 20s. And uh, the one next week that debuts on September 17th, Nona, comes from Pixar story artist uh, Luis Gonzalez, who worked on Brave and Incredibles 2. And supposedly it's inspired by his own grandmother, uh, tells the story of an older woman who has plans for the day, doing just relaxing at home, which gets interrupted by the unexpected arrival of her granddaughter. And... Speaking of stuff that, you know, you got to go out of your way to watch. When did the new Ron's Gone Wrong trailer drop? Was that today or just earlier this week? Or No, it was a couple of days ago, I okay. think. I only know that because I was just an- annoying my wife by watching mm. all of these trailers on a, <laughs> on a loop. I, you know, the Matrix trailer. Did you watch the Matrix trailer, Jim? I did. I did. Pretty it was, wild. It was. But if we had just stopped with the original Matrix, I would be happy to see this one. But there were those other two films great effects if you held a gun to my head right now i still couldn't tell you what happened in either of those two films but i will go to I'll this tell one you when you're older jim 
Thank you. So this is the official trailer as opposed to the teaser we got for Ron's Gone Wrong. And it had better gags. I thought it was sharper about story points. This one definitely made me feel like, okay, I want to go out of my way and see this one. What about you? Yeah, I thought it was a lot better. It gave more of the story. Mm-hmm. We got to hear more of the cast. Uh, you know, Galifianakis is the little droid. Mm-hmm. I was really impressed. I'm, I'm excited. I've heard it's really good uh, from people who have seen it. So I'm, I'm excited. And, you know, I'm a big Arthur Christmas fan, Jim. So I'm excited that Sarah Smith has a new movie. That's another one of those when it shows up during the holiday season. If I stumble upon it, it's like, well, here goes another hour of my life. You know, just enjoy how it played out. So if, if that's the storytelling style, no, I'm definitely on board. You also pointed out that they, there's a trailer out there now for the Lego Star Wars Terrifying Tale, which is a sequel of sorts to last year's Lego Star Wars holiday special, right? That, that, that was November of last year. It looks fun as hell. I don't know. It looks really good. I'm sorry, but Dana Snyder, as some (laughs) relative of Jabba the Hutt, I'm there. Yeah, yeah. I particularly love that moment of the trailer. It's like, was that lightning inside of the house? (laughs) Some great lines. Oh, speaking of Dana, uh, on the very same day that Lego Star Wars Terrifying Tale debuts on Disney+, Plus, that's the day that Ghost and Molly McGee debuts on the Disney Channel. And uh, honestly, there is no yes, such thing. Yes, that's the day I call you for your cable login, Jim, to <laughs> be able to watch. I will happily share. You know, again, no, <laughs> no such thing as too much Dana Snyder. On the other hand, yeah. I had not seen or heard anything about a tale dark and grim. New series uh, debuting on Netflix on October 8th, supposedly based on the, the best-selling series of books by Adam Gidwitz. Looked like a lot of fun. It certainly looks like an appropriate show to drop just before Halloween. But ten half-hour-long episodes—is that correct? Yeah, it looks it looks fun. It looks really slick and uh, and kind of spooky and good. Yeah, I, the the Netflix Halloween—I forget what—they all have different, uh, you know, branding for their Halloween thing. I think that Disney's is Hallow Stream, and I think I think Netflix is Netflix and Chill. chill you know (laughs) chill your bones but yeah i I thought it it looks great Uh, they have a uh, they have a robust halloween program jim which i always love to see now speaking of which though uh something that is not halloween themed to my knowledge the aquaman king of atlantis the animated trilogy that debuts on hbo max on october 14th but oh my god that looks fun as hell yeah. Is Aquaman ever going to get any respect? Anytime he appears on Adult Swim, on a Robot Chicken, they trash this character. And this picks up from the day he becomes King of Atlantis. Yeah. That's coming from uh, James Wan. And we have Victor Courtright, the gentleman behind Thundercats Roar, uh, is show running. And he is executive producing alongside of Marley Halpern Grazer. So... Very, very, very much looking forward to this yeah. one. Yeah, it looks great. It does, it does. And, and it's and three It's three episodes. That's why Jim mm-hmm. said it was the animated trilogy. It's mm-hmm. three episodes over three weeks. So okay. I don't know if they're a little longer or what the runtime is, but that's they're, they're going the, the kind of Fear Street route with that. So one every week for three weeks, yeah. Can't wait, can't wait. And, and speaking of things we're looking forward to, we were just talking about Paramount. 
and Star Trek, and we, we now have a really for real trailer for Star Trek Prodigy. And jeez, this looks great. Yeah. I love the Captain Janeway hologram guiding these misfit kids around the galaxy. <laughs> also, you know, keep hitting the button so you find the thing to go pew pew. <laughs> I have to say, given the, the quality standard of the writing and the production on Star Trek Lower Decks, I have really high hopes for this one. And of course, it's the brothers who did the, the Troll Hunters series finale thing for Netflix. So very, very much looking forward to this. We And we have finally have a de- debut date, October 28th. Now, I was finishing watching the Prodigy trailer, and suddenly, you know, how uh, YouTube auto-cues, and suddenly, here comes a trailer for Rumble that I had never seen before. I have never seen this, and you didn't send it to me, Jim, so I still haven't seen it, so... Okay. (laughs) Yeah. I just literally stumbled upon it while I was putting these show notes together, and and it's a lot stronger, and they're listing that there's a February 18th, 2022 release date for this film and i hadn't seen that anywhere before which no. I, which intrigues me given the uh, the news about clifford the big red dog you know which again paramount pulled off the schedule after it being no wait a minute they pulled that off before cinemacon right they pulled it off before cinemacon and then they showed it at cinemacon mm-hmm. which is super weird it is. And what's also weird is the only release date that's locked in anywhere for this thing is evidently the UK. And that's December 24th of this year. So if anybody knows what's going on with Clifford and wants to share, or for that matter, wants to confirm that Rumble is in fact coming out in February of next year, love to hear from you. So anyway, I'll tell you what, folks, we're going to go from dogs to ducks on the second half of the show, but first a couple of ads. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We were just talking about Haley Mills' memoir, Forever Young. Drew pointed out, however, that there's a couple of animation-related books coming out that we should keep an eye out for. First is The Art of Encanto from Chronicle Books, the very same people who published Drew's great making of book for on uh, Pixar's Onward. By the way, did you see they had barley out at uh, California Adventure as a walk around? I did. Well, they. Oh, they, I think they had Ian out too. Did so, they really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, those characters were supposed to be at at Pixar Pier for a while, but mm-hmm. you know, obviously, when the movie opens nine days before the world shut down, that they kind of went back into mothballs. But 
Yeah, I'm going. I'm going to do the uh, Halloween thing at the end of the month, at the sort of mid uh, October. So I will report back oh, on no, I'd, Sid I'd love to hear and that. all of those characters. Yeah, are... I'm genuinely intrigued at, in regard to doing them. Agnes Harkness oh, from WandaVision, right. and likewise the Cruella from the the Craig Gillespie film. But all right, so we have Encanto, Art of Encanto, coming November sixteenth. But right behind that, a, a week after that, from Dark Horse Books, we have the art of Amaya and the Three. I literally did this. It's like, oh, we're getting an art book for Encanto. We're getting an art book for Maya and the Three. It seems unfair that the, there isn't an art of Vivo book out. But just on, on, on a whim, I hammered on Amazon, and sure enough, there is an art of Vivo book coming out. But it's this month, September 28th. Yeah, it got... It was supposed to be at the end of August, I think, because um, I was talking to the publisher for a little bit. But mm-hmm. so, yeah, if they send that, when they send that, we will talk about it on the show, I'm sure. But cool. yeah, it, got, it just got bumped a little bit. Well, again, I'm just so glad they, they hear that, given how great that film was looking. And, and by the way, another uh, book that uh, Disney and Animation fans are sure to, to want, there is Walt Disney's Donald Duck. And this is the 25th volume of... Of the complete Carl Barks Disney Library. That, that, is that this dropped. the Fantagraphics? Uh, there we go. Yeah. Yes, it's from the folks at Fantagraphics. November 16th, 208 pages, price point $29.99. And I, want that, I want that Scrooge McDuck book, Jim, but it's like $250 or whatever. Yeah, Did you see that? The, yeah. 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 The, the biography of Scrooge McDuck. <laughs> so isn't that the one that comes in the, the special slipcase? Yes. Has, yeah. Mm. Yeah. I want that too. Can you talk about, you just reached out to the movie club or? Oh, yes. I wanted to tell everybody. Yeah, the the Disney movie club, which is the subscription kind of based Disney club that's been around for a long time. I'm I'm amazed that it's still with us, Jim, whoever. But you and I like it because we can get old, weird stuff on on Blu-ray. There we go. That's what we live for, folks. I'm old and weird and I like old, weird stuff. Yes. So, you know, as I was putting in my order for Something Wicked This Way Comes and Flight of the Navigator on Blu-ray, they said, if you are a concierge-level member of the movie club, you actually have access to buying Blu-rays of Make Mine Music and Melody Time, which have never both never been out on Blu-ray. So if you are at that level or you think you're at that level, I just wanted to tell people because to have these two... Disney package films, which I think have a lot of great stuff in both they of do. them. They um, do. Yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. it's certainly old and weird, but I think it's worth sort of looking at uh, but or, again, or purchasing. Yeah. Concierge level. I, yeah. This has not been advertised anywhere. I, I haven't seen this anywhere online. So consider this a fine tuning exclusive. So there you go. So check it out. Um, okay. Give them a call. Yeah. And, and while we're suggesting that people spend money, just today, news broke about when finally tickets for next year's D23 Expo will go on sale. And so what are those, January 20th? 20th, yeah. Yeah. For a lot of people, this has been kind of concerning because typically the, the tickets go on sale a full year in advance. And the fact that four months delayed from uh, typically when they'd go on sale. But is this another Shang-Chi thing, Drew? Yeah, I think that they finally kind of said, okay, we've whatever statistics and numbers they've run and whatever, um, yeah, okay. they are uh, pulling the trigger. So, see you there, Jim. <laughs> yes, yes, in, in some particularly long line, no doubt. 
Which of the ones is it Melody Time or Make Mine Music that has Donald in it? I think it is Melody Time. Yes, it is Melody. Wow, I got that off the top of my head, Jim. Come on. 1948 package film, and I knew that was the one with Donald. Come on. Look, Donald's obviously had an interesting career. You know, first debuted in The Wise Little Hen, uh, Silly Symphony, back in May of 34. Crossed over to the Mickey Mouse series in August of that same year with the Orphan's Benefit and proved to be such a popular supporting character. Got his own series in January of 37, starting with Don Duck. And by the time the 40s arrived, Donald has basically thrown Mickey into eclipse. Do you know the story of The New Spirit, the the film that the Treasury Department had Walt make right after Pearl Harbor, you know, to the effect of we need money for the war effort. We need to convince people to pay their income taxes as quickly as possible. No, I, I, if I have heard it, I have forgotten about it, Jim. So please regale us. Walt boards a cartoon where it's Donald being the one who pays his tax quickly. And he takes it to the Treasury Department. He actually gets guff from the bureaucrats there to the effect of, well, I thought we'd get Mickey. And it's like, they said, no, that Donald's our Clark Gable. I'm giving you the biggest star in my stable. And sure enough, Pearl Harbor's December 7th. This thing is out in theaters by the end of January of 1942. It's good to know there was no shadowy government organization that Walt <laughs> said no to. <laughs> Not yet, anyway. So it hits in theaters and they put it in theaters for free. There are theaters who like, oh, I have to pay for my normal Donald Duck cartoon. I'll just pull that out of the rotation and and run the new spirit. And Walt loses money helping the American government at this crucial time. But on the other hand, millions of people are convinced to pay their taxes on time. And it does, in fact, help the the war effort. Well, it was probably being run right next to newsreels, too, I imagine, right? There we go. In fact, my mom was just talking to Nancy and I about how different it was back then to get news. I mean, you either heard news on the radio or you'd go to a a movie theater and it was one of these things where you'd get two pictures and a cartoon and a newsreel. And it was only during the newsreel where you'd actually get to see the footage of Pearl Harbor and the ships that have capsized or, you know, still burning out on the water. And it was just... They immediately go into the the Mighty Mouse cartoon was, you know, a a little jarring. I preferred to get my news from old Jimmy the Goon down the street who tells me all the the stuff, Jim. Jimmy the Goon. Well, there we go. So it's the 1940s now and University of Oregon. Back in the day, the sports teams at, at Oregon, no like, this is back, as far back as the 1890s, they were known as the Webfoots. They were called the Webfoots because this group of fishermen from Massachusetts who had been heroes in the American Revolution relocate to Oregon's Willamette Valley. They propagate the name. So when it comes time for the University of Oregon to have a sports team to honor these veterans of the, the American Revolutionary War, they named the team the Webfoots. That holds for a while, but starting in the 1920s, some student at the university is like, well, Webfoot, you know, who's got web feet? Ducks have got web feet. So why don't we just call ourselves the Oregon Ducks? And so that starts in the 1920s. In fact, they start bringing a live white duck called Puddles to the sporting events. That's the 1920s. And so this clearly predates Donald, who doesn't arrive on the scene till May of 1934. But starting in 1940, cartoon drawings of Puddles start appearing in 
student publication at the University of Oregon, and the cartoons of Puddles start looking like Donald Duck, and mm. by 47, and again, this is during a time when you've got Walt working on a package feature that features Donald, and somebody points out to him that's like, you know, the University of Oregon is basically using Donald, and they're not paying us anything. And so this almost becomes an issue. But Oregon's athletic director, Leo Harris, travels to Burbank, meets with Walt, and they come to an understanding. There's a handshake deal that the University of Oregon has Walt's permission to use Donald as its sports mascot. They can even call him Donald Duck. Well, can I can I ask you something, Jim? Sure. Were, were any of the... Because the, the classic kind of duck, Oregon Duck... Looks like it was animated by one of the people at Disney. Did were, did they produce any? Thing? I mean, it's a it's a long way to go from a student newspaper to the logo that we see. Were they involved in redesigning this character at all, or giving them official? Supposedly, there is an illustrator who uh, worked in Disney comic books called Mike Royer. Supposedly, he's working in comics at Disney in the '60s, and he's also a graduate of the University of Oregon. And basically, Walt goes to Mike one day, and it's like, can you do me a favor? Can you at least make the duck for the university look more like Donald? It's off-model. It doesn't look great. The proportions aren't great. And so Mike redesigns the duck, and so it, it becomes much more like Donald at that point. Okay. You know, much more a model. So if that's the stuff you're seeing, you know, yes. that's what happened. Now, we jump ahead to the 70s, and the Disney company isn't making quite as much money as it used to make under Walt. You know, they're making movies like A Million Dollar Duck that don't do the business that the films that were made during Walt's tenure at the company made. And so the company's lawyers approached the University of Oregon. And, you know, well, you know, there's nothing in writing. And, you know, if you're going to be using Donald's likeness, you're going to have to start paying and the University of Oregon sends students into the archives and they dig down and they eventually come across a picture of, again, remember the athletic director's name, uh, Leo Harris. Uh, here's a picture of Walt and Harris and they're wearing matching University of Oregon jackets with, you know, and Walt's very proudly pointing to the duck on the thing. And it's like, look, right. we had a handshake deal and Walt supported this. And that was enough to sort of push back the Disney lawyers. So in 73, they, they actually formalized the deal. They get a formal agreement in place where the university now officially has the rights to Donald's likeness. But at the same time, Disney being Disney uh, now wants control over where the university Student, you know, that how they, they, they'll get a member of the cheerleading squad to dress up as the mascot. It's like, you know, if you're going to be wearing a costume that's basically Donald, we want approval of where he performs. And <laughs> there's literally language in the deal, too, that whoever the, the student is who's inside the costume will properly represent the Donald Duck character. So he'll curse and get angry and try there to murder go. his nephews. There, okay. we <laughs> there we go. All right. And this deal stays in place till uh, the Bob Iger era. And then officially in 2010, Disney and the University of Oregon reached an agreement that removes the, at least the costume Oregon Duck mascot, the one that looks like Donald, 
from being as closely associated with the non-elect trademark. And the trade-off is now the character can go anywhere, can do anything on campus without Disney signing off on it. They also tweaked the design of the uh, the official art for the school for the mascot. So it's a little less obviously Donald uh, rounder head, changed the body a little bit. But again, the, the copyright agreement that's sort of Donald, not Donald, remains in place. And, and in a weird sort of way, Disney is so lucky that they did this at the time because it's, there's this great story that evidently in 2011, after they finally freed up the Oregon Duck mascot so they didn't have to contact Disney and said, can he go to the chili cook-off? Can he do this? Evidently, there was a football game where another mascot stole the University of Oregon Ducks routine where I guess he would do push-ups on the sideline. And long story short, there was a fist fight between the two mascots. And as a result, the Donald was banned from appearing at the next couple of games at, at the University of Oregon. So That is amazing. Yeah. So, by the way, University of Oregon, uh, the Ducks just had their season opener this past weekend. They played Fresno and they won 31 to 24. That said, this Saturday, they're going head to head against Ohio State. So Drew and I wish them well. So wait, did they so they loosened the agreement, but they also had to change the look of the mascot, but Disney still has this agreement with them? I called a friend at Disney Legal to get it explained, and it was you could literally hear over the phone this person touching their forehead like, oh, I don't want to have to explain this again. It's just sort of like, yes, we had this handshake deal that we formalized in the 70s that we then revisited in 2010, but it's still evidently a pain in the butt because they spend more time going after the folks who don't do the officially authorized University of Oregon Ducks merch. It's the folks who, who work on the periphery who do the more obscene, edgy stuff. The university doesn't go after that at all, but it's Disney that has to step up and it's like, okay, there's a reason that Donald doesn't wear pants. Right. Just the fact that they have to still police now this character that they really don't own. I, they, it looks like they are selling like merchandise with the older like kind of a retro here they, they, no absolutely and it, it it's one of the reasons that the university of oregon was so determined to like look you know we make a lot of money off of the sales of merch and it's not just students that go to the university we the donald duck fans the world around and they they love this stuff and so they, they make a very healthy sales every year off of this. So there is there right. a way we can keep this going? And so that's kind of where we are now. That It's also one of these things where it's like they don't want to be the, we force the University of Oregon to change the, you know, their mascot and shut down this revenue stream, which is used for a university. And it's just sort of like, ugh. From Disney's side of the fence, you know, it would have been so much easier if Walt in, in 47 had said, no, you can't use him. But Walt, you know, was kind of flattered that they had borrowed his character. And right. that's why we are where we are today. Wow. I think I brought this up to you a few, uh, a few months ago. You did. Ago, you I did. Was finally yes. Great. So here's my next question, Jim. We're gonna, I'm going to put this out there for you to think about and tell mm -hmm. me if I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. I want to know why the Mickey Mouse review Mickey which mm -hmm. is the sort of, you know, he's in a tuxedo, his arms are out like this. Mm -hmm. How that became the logo for Disney Home Video. 
Do you know the story? I do. And in fact, the weird part, well, I will tell you, it ties in in a very bizarre way. Do you remember those stories about the black cauldron? They were going to do the uh, the hologram? Yes, of course. Okay. This ties in in a very bizarre way. Okay. To, to well, that I'm glad story. that I'm not crazy in the sense that I no, no, I no. noticed the silhouette, you know, it's the same model, you know. Mm. You and I know our, our Mickeys and our, the we different do, iterations. We do. Of Mickeys, the, yeah. But when you visited Imagineering, did you ever get into the maquettes room? Uh, the Blaine Gibson room with the, the faces? There we yeah. go. Yeah. Okay. All right. So they're literally testing this technology for the hologram. And they're like, I'll go down to the model room and grab something. And we'll put it on the platform and spin it around and put it in front of the holograph you know, producer and see what happens. And so the kid they send out of the room grabs the maquette that had been made for the Mickey Mouse review. And it's just like, here, put it on the table. They spin it around. And that was the proof of concept. For, you know, that oh my God, look how great this looks. Wow. They're setting up the video division and it's like, we need a strong graphic, a strong image. And it's like, hey, do you remember when we did that test? And all they did is they went back and optically printed it differently. In fact, isn't it like red on on white or I forget? No, you know, I think it's actually on, I think it's on black okay the, the back but that also could have been a a optical mm. process um, there we go from what all they right. were doing but anyway i want you to i want every detail jim so put, all right i'm putting will, this right. out in the ether we will we will oh. follow up on this all right i'll make some calls okay. so till i get around to telling that story there's lots of good stuff to listen to online particularly over at light the fuse drew's wonderful mission impossible uh john wick and God help us, Top Gun Maverick podcast. So know, what do we got coming up this week? We're, we're continuing our, our making of Rogue Nation series, Jim, which you'll appreciate. We just kind of are breaking it down sort of mm-hmm. uh, by the different phases of production and post-production. So I think we have three more weeks. Uh, or By the time this runs, it'll be two more weeks of that. And mm-hmm. um, we're just trying to line up interviews and get more people to chat with. And, you know, the <laughs> it keeps on going, Jim, when mm-hmm. I... When I heard the news that it was everything was being pushed back, it's like, oh my lord, we have to come up with with more stuff because we thought, mm-hmm. you know, that Top Gun Two would be coming out relatively soon, and mm-hmm. we would have we would not have to scramble for guests, but that is not the case. Okay, and speaking of th- checking out, we all we have some other podcasts here. Uh, we got Disney Dish with Lentesto. We got Marvelous Disney. I do with Aaron Adams. I need to get a new Universal joint going with Dustin Fuse. But anyway, I, again, seriously, folks, if you're not following Drew on social media, you're meeting, you know, missing out on some really funny, very insightful stuff. So please tell people how they can find you. Uh, I'm Drew Tailored, like a tailored shirt, on Twitter and Instagram. And as for me, uh, you can find our stuff on Twitter and Instagram as Jim Hill Media and over on Facebook as Jim Hill Media News. And that's going to do it for now. So thanks for listening, folks, and we will be back soon.